content, there's a process that goes with that. And and the process is sometimes long and tedious, and you're going, ah, I just want more content. I I like to stay up here where I'm just going, wow, that's great. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Did you do anything about it? Not a thing. Not a thing. What? And this morning, I'm going to teach you something out of the Word of God that I'll guarantee you one thing. That if you put this into practice, you'll see your life change dramatically. I'm not George Zimmer of Men's Warehouse, but I'll guarantee it. <laughs> and if you do not, five years from now, ten years from now, you wish you would have come back to this point and done it different. It's a point, it's an area of our lives that is very uncomfortable to deal with when we're going through it. But it reaps huge rewards. Now now realize this, that when we get the content in our life, it is the seed of God, it's the Word of God that is like the seed planted in the ground, and we know that the Word of God always produces a hundredfold return. It's an incorruptible seed. The seed is going to do its work. Everybody with me on that? It's not the seed. It's the person that works the soil, in other words, allows God's Word to come into our life that we can see it actually produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. Some of us will say, well, you know what? I'll just take a little bit of that. You'll get a little bit of return. But if you take all of it and begin to work it into your life, process it into your life, you'll see as King David or as little shepherd boy David how he was promoted year after year. Even in times where he didn't see it, God was working for his promotion and to be the best. This morning I want to give you some thoughts, and the first one is this. Life is not about finding yourself. See, we hear that all the time. Just find yourself. Go on a trip, go away, and find yourself. There's people that are 100 years old going, I just got to find myself. (laughs) Woo, buddy. I'm telling you what. I saw some green bananas in your kitchen. You don't need to buy those anymore. Come on, find yourself. Life is not about finding yourself. It's about allowing God to create you. See, we have no problem getting into this earth and realizing that we have a creator, but then we cease to believe that God has a plan for us and it begins to create us and create in us things that his word has put before us. Now, here's David, and he's anointed king by Samuel as just a young man. We know the story. He's out on the uh, pasture with the sheep. He's a shepherd. But he's anointed, but he had to wait to be placed in the position as king. He didn't go down to the, you know, the, the, the crown shop and start getting fit for a crown and a robe. No, he had to wait for that. If you think about this morning, Jesus and how he, he, he waited and was under authority... Maybe you never saw it this way before, but Jesus was under the authority of his mother, Mary, and Joseph as a young man. If you know the story, they were traveling to Jerusalem from their home in Nazareth, and they get to Jerusalem, and and, and they decide, okay, now it's time to go home after a while, and they take off, and they go back home, and they're looking around, and they don't see Jesus. So they go back back to Jerusalem, and they begin to search for him. And they find him, and he's 13, they, they believe he's 13 years of age, and now as a Jewish man or a Jewish young man, he has turned an adult at 13. Where in the world did they get that? <laughs> at 13, you step into that stage, you know that stage, right? 
where everybody doesn't have a clue, but the 13-year-old has a clue. And Mary comes and he says, or she says, where have you been? We've been searching for you. And he's like, I'm going to be about my father's business. In other words, now I'm 13, I'm, I'm going to stay here. I'm, this is where I, I'm going to be. Now, now, maybe some of you haven't ever read this, but in that chapter, Luke chapter 2, verse 21, 20, it says, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. But then what's kind of, kind of in a way, funny is the very next verse it says, then they went down to Nazareth. Listen again. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. In other words, Mary goes, let's go. And he goes, yes, ma'am. He was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He began to grow in those areas of his life because he submitted to the authority of his parents. Now, 17 years passes by to the age of, uh, or I'm sorry, 13, now 17, now he's 30 years of age, and, and we see the story that Jesus is on the scene with his mother at a wedding. And it's the first miracle. Anybody know that miracle? Don't know any other miracle, but you got your eye on the first one. Water into wine. And the story says this, that Jesus is there at the wedding, and it has to be someone that invited him, so it's someone special. But his mother realizes that the wedding party has run out of refreshments. Little thing. But she comes on the scene to Jesus and says, they're out of wine. Now, now, if you read the Bible in, in John chapter 2, it says that Jesus said, that's really not my business. They haven't even involved me in that situation yet. It's not even my time. So it, if you read it, it looks like Mary just turns, kind of like she didn't even hear that, and looks at the servant and says, whatever he says, do it. Jesus says, <clears throat> yes, ma'am. <laughs> and, and I want you to see something that's very important. God used human delegated authority to start Jesus into his ministry. You can read it all day long and all day night, and it never says that God the Father looked at Jesus and said, now your ministry starts. Some of you might think of the time that he was baptized and God the Father said, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm sorry, I am well pleased with my son. But that wasn't the start. Understand that. That his ministry is launched because of delegated authority through his mother. Now, now you say, well, what is that about? Because this morning I want you to see the parallel that David's kingship was also played out by David, listen, submitting to delegated authority from God. It was human delegated authority. This is a subject that is very hard for Americans to listen to, because, and especially <laughs> Texans. <laughs> Wait just a minute, I need a drink on that one real quick. <laughs> no, that water was not turned into wine, by the way. All right. Now, now let me just point out something. Authority or chaos are the two options that we have because of our sin nature. Listen, authority or chaos? 
if you think about it, our default is always to go back to doing it our own way. It's our survival mode. We're just going to do it our own way. I don't know if you see it or not. I don't care if you see it or not. I'm just going to do it my own way. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of all of us. He took all of that away from us, the sin nature. But that doesn't mean that we have to continue to, again, become aware of where we are in that. Again, authority or chaos. In the Old Testament, it was put like this. At the end of the book of Judges, or uh, yes, of Judges, it said that there was no king, so there was no law, and everyone did as they saw fit in their own eyes. That's what we're dealing with today. Think about it with me. Probably one of the hardest jobs are jobs like the police, where here they are hired, and they're not super rock stars. They're not going to make all this money. They're definitely not athletes. We're, you know, could, could we live if the Cowboys didn't play tonight? Yes, we could. Could you live if the police goes, hey, I don't care if anybody robs you, kills you, shoots you, whatever they do. I'm just going to take a couple. No, we couldn't live without that. That's crazy. That's chaos. They don't get paid a lot, but even the, it seems like in the society we live in that people have a tough time submitting to the authority of the law the police. I'll tell you another tough job when it talks about, or when you talk about delegated authority, is teachers. Let me tell you, I come from a long line of people that are in education. Mother was a principal. Father at one time was a teacher. My sister is a principal, and her husband is a teacher. My aunt, uncle, principals, teachers, uh, cousins, and their husbands, principals, and principals, and oh, here we go. So you can imagine when uh, my family said, we're going to homeschool. <laughs> they said, what? You going to sit on the porch with a shotgun and have a stockpile of food? No. But let me tell you, Gwen, my wife was a teacher too before she, but just the thought of, listen, all the teachers and they have to, they have to do this a certain way not to offend anybody. And, and it's amazing to me that our students now in high schools, some have to go through metal detectors to get into school. Now, now some of you that are my age and a little bit older, you remember, is that not kind of funny to you? Because let me tell you, in my, 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 I might sound like an old fogey, but let me tell you, in my school days, I had teachers that I feared. Can, can I see your hand if you went to school during that time? I had one, and I wondered what her job before teaching was, and she was a drill sergeant, literally, in the military. I remember one time, you know, I'm in fourth grade, I'm just a kid, but let me tell you, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, being a kid, I'm going to be a little transparent here, I'm standing on my foot, and I remember being crazy and trying to balance on one foot, and I'm in a group of people listening to her, and she goes, Mr. Miller. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> Nowadays, the teachers would be looked at as like they talk back to the teachers, the principals. Now, now again, my parents had a running rule because they were in education. If you ever get a licking at school, they called it a lick. Anybody remember a lick? Where they had a board. That's right, a board. Terrible. How could you ever have a... We didn't have metal detectors. We had a board. And, and I remember the day that, that my parents said, just, just want to let you know, if you ever get a spank, we're not going to come down there and get mad at the teachers and the principal. You're going to get another spank when you come home. 
You're two for sale. We didn't have a medal, but there was a respect for those in authority. Really, the, the whole thought of secularism is that there should be no authority, and this is becoming a religion in the United States. That everybody should be able to just do, as they say, is think is right in their own eyes. I thought about how this came into our society, and it's just so subtle, isn't it? How it's just a little bit here, a little bit there. I thought about even in the media. I love watching TV at times and movies. Do you realize that the rebel is always the successful one? Did you ever think about that? In the show, if you go back in the hot TV shows, like anybody ever watched that old TV show called 24? I think they came out with something new. Jack Bauer, you know, Kiefer Sutherland. And he was always, don't walk through that red door or the world will end. He's like, I'm going through the red door. Well, it didn't happen and he saved the world. It's amazing. Breaking every rule. And he was successful. And everybody watching goes, yeah, rebel. He didn't submit to the authority. TV shows. I think about TV shows like right now there's one out called The Blacklist. And Red Reddington is the star and this guy is a criminal. And let me tell you, he is, he'll kill people and everybody's cheering him on because he's always one step smarter than everybody else. Do you remember the show Dallas? And you call yourself guys a Texan? It's funny, you could travel to parts of the world and they go, do you know J.R. Ewing? <laughs> do you remember J.R.? He's always doing the worst things, and, but he's the star of the whole TV show. A rebel. You look into movies like the, uh, Top Gun. You know, Tom Cruise, he's the rebel. He's going to do whatever he, he's going to do. Break all the rules. The Iron Man. Robert Downing Rebellion Jr., just quick-witted. He's always going to do something. And, and it always comes out, okay? That's why I loved Westerns. The good guy always got the girl at the end of the show. <laughs> authority or chaos? Let me tell you another one. God is the author of authority, but Satan is the author of rebellion. If you have a problem with this, write this chapter down. Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. So anybody this morning that goes on a little bit further and goes, you know, I, you're touching me and the inner me. And, uh, Romans chapter 13. John Miller isn't coming up with this. Romans chapter 13, the Word of God says, Let everyone be subject to the governing, governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. If you go down to verse 3, it says, For rulers hold no tear for those who do right, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Whoa, 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 whoa. Repeat that. He's there or she's there for our good. In verse 5 it says, Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities. Not only because of the possible punishment or the consequences, but also a matter of the conscience. That, that sometimes hurts us when we hear something like that. We go, well, I don't know if I like that. See, see when 
the children of Israel are going into the promised land, God gives them things to do, to put into... These are practical things that are going to bring a practical consequences for their good. But he says this, only those that are willing to do them and are obedient are going to taste of the goodness of the land. There's a difference about someone that says, I'll do it, and another person that gets their whole being around, I'm good with it. Being willing and obedient. Can I tell you this? This is what's so hard for us as Americans. Submission doesn't even reveal itself in the person until you don't want to do it. See, we're all submitted when things are going well for us. If your boss on Monday morning showed up, and it's the end of this month, September, and says, hey, got some good news for you. You know what? I want you to submit to me, and I'm going to give you, because of who you are, I'm going to give you $1,000 extra. We go, I'm your servant. I'm submitting to you for that. Give me that. Thank you very much. Life is good. But if he would show up or she would show up tomorrow and say, you know what, I've seen you at your desk and you're sleeping. We've talked about that before. I'm going to have to take $1,000 away from you. Oh, wait, whoa, 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 wait just a minute now. Submission doesn't start until you disagree with the person that is in authority over you. Jesus said to his father in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember this, right before the crucifixion, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, it's so hard sometimes for us. And there's different personalities that it's easier on the outside than others. On, can I say that again? On the outside. Because I know a lot of easygoing people that it looks like, man, they can just submit to authority, but on the inside there's an inner turmoil that's going on. But to realize that God uses human delegated authority in our life to launch us into His will. I think that sometimes we have a malfunction going on and we refuse to launch. Because some of us need to realize that training is not always easy at times in our life. The title of my message today is this. David the Patient Applicant for kingship. He is in a place where he is applying for kingship. He's been anointed by God. There's some things in his life that are going to be created that is not natural, but it is being submissive to God and who he puts over David that is going to bring him to a place that what God's desire is... Here's what God's ultimate desire was to create David as the greatest king in Israel's whole history. Let me kind of have you think about something. How long has it been since you thank God for not telling you what's coming in the next five years? <laughs> Some of us go, what? I'd kind of like to know. No, no, you are. And the reason why I'm saying this is because there's so many times in our development that there's opportunities that present themselves that we go, you know what, I, I'm just not up for that. But God gives David the ability to take one day at a time, just like you and I, 
Because God knows what's best for you and me. He, he, he knows the future. He, he is, there's no beginning. There's no end. We can't even get our mind around that part of God. But if God knows the best for us, then to trust Him... See, for us, a lot of times we just ricochet around from moment to moment trying to figure this whole thing out, what's best for us. Half the time we mess it up. And here's what David is. When, when I think how gracious God was that He would just give David one day at a time like us, that, that again, in just being obedient, just walking that one day out, brings Him to a whole other level. Because, you know, when you, when you hear the story, and most people know the story of David and Goliath, to think that right after he's anointed, surely he moved into the king position. Okay, he didn't? Well, then surely after he kills the giant, God would have put him in the position of king, right? But he didn't. There, there's a process that's going to go on that, that doesn't seem to feel good. Now, now stop a minute. Here's this young guy, and he's young, and he's got everything ahead of him, and I know how we are when we're young. Woo! All the options in life, and not that, not that, woo, but the big one. I want to go there. Here's David. He's anointed king, and one day, he's got to feel 10 feet tall. How do you know that? Because when he comes on the battlefield, he sees a 10-foot tall man and goes, <laughs> get out of my way. He kills the giant. Now think about this. Maybe you've never thought about it, but from the moment that he walks on the battlefield until the time that he's holding glass head and everybody's cheering for him and the king is looking at his top general going, who is this guy? Think of how long it took from him to become from a local hero of killing a bear and a lion to a national hero of killing Goliath. How long did that take? couple minutes, hour, a day, in the scope of his whole life, one day he becomes a national hero. The Bible says the next chapter, hear me, I'm about ready to preach, so get your amen and ready. The next chapter in chapter 18, it says that he is incredibly prosperous. It says four times that he's prosperous. I want you to see this because in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5, it says that he submits to the authority because King Saul says, I'm not going to let him go back home. He's going to be a part of my, my court. Now he's going to be with me. He's going to play his harp. You know, he's going to calm me down because Saul was going through some stuff in his life. And it says, So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. Behaved wisely. Hear that. And Saul set, set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. He, he is gaining a reputation of favor with God, of course. We, we know that. Everybody knows that. But here's the hard part. He's gaining favor with Saul, the army that now that he's a part of, Remember, he didn't even have a uniform. Never wielded a sword before he threw the, the rock. But now he's gaining favor not only with Saul, the people, or the, the army, and now the people. They're writing songs about him. The songs that sing, you know, David has killed his tens of thousands and Saul his thousands. 
So you can see, everything is going, I mean, he's about ready for the, you know, the coronation. I mean, he, he's got it going on. He's got the Midas touch, and all of a sudden, eh, turning point. Let me tell you, as we talk about this, some of you have been through the turning point in your life. And some of you are going through it right now. You, you have seen things happen in your life that are just, I mean, it is just awesome. God is working and all of a sudden, this whole idea of God giving us authority over us, delegated authority by God to say, there's some things in your life that I'm going to work it out through that person. You go, I, I don't know if I like that. I'm an American. I'm a Texan. I don't do that. Again, the patient applicant for kingship. Let me say it again. Life is not about finding yourself. It's about allowing God to create you. Verse 8, now we just read verse 5, but if you go down just a few verses, verse 8, it says this. Then Saul became very angry. Well, what's he got to be angry about? For this saying... The praises the women were singing about David displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousand, but to me a thousand. Now what more can he, which is David, have but the kingdom? And Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. This morning, maybe some of you have been in a job situation where you felt like your authority has looked at you with suspicion because of a certain point in your life. Put yourself in this place if you have not been there. Your, your authority has become angry. From day to day, he begins to look at you, as Saul did, with suspicion. And it says that David is playing the harp one day, and, and he's got that suspicious eye, you know, he's looking at David, whatever that looks like. David's playing, you know. As the deer panteth for the water. I don't know what he's singing. But Saul gets a spear and throws it at him and tries to pin him against the wall. David has an idea. I can't stay here anymore. So it says that he takes his stuff and he runs from Saul. And it says that Saul seeks to catch him and kill him. Now, now I'm going to fast forward because of time, but I'd like you to read chapter 24 because it puts you in a place, and I'm just going to summarize it. It says that David begins to go from pit to pit to cave to cave. You know, they describe the place that Saul catches up as the crags of the wild goats. How many people would like to live in the crags of the wild goats? That's where David lived because he's running from his life from the person that is over him in authority. But here's what's so important to realize, that in the moment of that, he is still realizing that Saul is his authority. Saul is trying to kill him and all these people that have come to David for refuge, really, and, and to band together for synergy. How'd you like that drop, Lonnie? That they're hiding in these caves, and Saul comes to the place where I were, Of all the caves in the world, you had to pick this one. And he goes in to relieve himself to go to the bathroom. And David comes up and cuts the corner off of his robe to prove that he could have killed him. Now, 
in your mind, do you have anything that you would say, David shouldn't have done that? He didn't hurt him. But here's what I want you to see. I, I just need to read this part. He cuts off the robe, and it says, Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid me that I should do such a thing to my master, the, Lord, the Lord's anointed. That's another word of saying, God's delegated authority over me. He said, Or that I lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, listen, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Now, now his men were saying, this is what God said, that he's going to give your enemies into your hand. Before David did that, before he cut him up, and they're going, now we're going to get him. You will never, most of the time, I shouldn't say never, but almost in every situation where you have a problem with the authority over you, very seldom will you ever be in drought of having friends around you to go, lop his head off. Your boss don't know. He never worked a job like this. He's not qualified. She's not knowledgeable. You know, they're always a bunch of... Yip, 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 yip. As believers, I'm believing that you are not one of those. But David's men begin to say, come on, kill him, kill him. What are you doing? We're, we're, we're dogs running from him. Now this morning, one of my favorite books is The Tale of Three Kings. And it's kind of a story of what could have happened. And one of those chapters, chapter 14, is putting David in actually this cave in this situation. Let me just read it. It's real quick. It's called, you know, the chapter is, Why David? Why? The place was another nameless cave, and the men stirred about restlessly. Gradually and very uneasily, they began to settle in. All were confused as Joab, which is his general, who had finally voiced their questions. Joab wanted some answers. Now, David should have seemed embarrassed or at least defensive. He was neither. He was looking past Joab like a man, Job, Joab, like a man viewing another realm that only he could see. Job walked directly in front of David, looked down on him, and began roaring his frustrations. Many times he almost speared you to death in his palace. I saw that with my own eyes. Finally, you ran away. Now for years you have been nothing but a rabbit for him to chase. Furthermore, the whole world believes the lies he tells about you. He has come, the king himself, hunting you in every cave pit and hole on earth to find you and kill you as a dog. But tonight you had him at the end of your own spear and you did nothing. Look at us. We're animals again. Less than an hour ago, you could have freed all of us. Yes, we could be free right now. Free all of Israel too. She would be free. Why, David? Why did you not end these years of misery? There was a long silence. Men shifted again uneasily. They were not accustomed to seeing David rebuked. 
Because, said David very slowly, and with a gentleness that seemed to say, I heard what you ask, but not the way that you ask it. Because once, long ago, he was not mad. He was young. He was great. Great in the eyes of God and men. And it was God who made him king, not man. Joy blazed back. But now he's mad and God is no longer with him. And David, he will kill you. This time it was David, his answer that blazed with fire. Better to kill me than I learn his ways. Better to kill me than I become as he is. I shall not practice the ways that cause kings to go mad. I will not throw spears, nor will I allow hatred to grow in my heart. I will not avenge. I will not destroy the Lord's anointed, not now and not ever. Joab could not handle such a senseless answer and he stormed out in the dark. That night, men went to bed on cold, wet stone and muttered about their leader's distorted, skewed view of relationships to kings, especially mad ones. Angels went to bed that night too and dreamed in the afterglow of that rare, rare day that God might yet be able to give His authority to a trustworthy vessel. Suffering was giving birth and humility was being born in David. Better he kill me than I learn his ways. We're talking this morning about submitting to the authority above you, I want to give you four quotes in conclusion that accent the story. And it applies to us today. Listen to these quotes. God doesn't give the hardest battles to His toughest soldiers. He creates the toughest soldiers through His life's hardest battles. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of the toughest battles that you have gone through that you've allowed God and you submitted to Him have created in you the ability to weather storms. And some of you have played that down like it's been a, almost a curse that you had to go through those. But I'm telling you today that God has used those in His will for your life. See, what I, what I found out is everybody wants the flowers, but they don't want the rain. You know what I mean? Everybody wants the paycheck on Friday, but they don't want to work all week. Everybody loves to see the rainbow. Did you see the rainbow? But nobody wants the storm. It's the toughest battles that bring us to a different place. Let me give you the second one of the four. It's from G.K. Chesterfield, and he says this. The Christian idea has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. I want to encourage you to allow God to work and create in you His will. 
to use the people that He chooses. The delegated authority that's over you right now. Pastor, I don't like what they're saying. I don't think that anybody is working for somebody or has authority over you that are throwing spears at you. Actually physically wants to kill you. David did. The third one is this. Sometimes God puts a Saul in our life to offer us an application for kingship. See, last week we said sometimes God puts a David or a, a Goliath in our life to find the David within us. But listen to that one. Sometimes God puts a Saul in our lives to offer us an application for kingship. Are, are you going to be able to submit to somebody that you disagree with? See, it's so much easier just to punch the guy's lights out. Isn't it? Throw the spear back to perfect our cynicism or our, our, our smart tongue, smart mouth to be able to come back with a quick pow. Tongue lashing. I can outwit you. Make you look bad. It's a lot easier to keep than to give because that comes naturally to keep. See, when you think about it this way, it all comes down to walking in victory is the difference between what pleases us and what pleases God. A living dog is better than a dead lion. As long as you're breathing, you have the ability to be successful. Let me tell you, life is not about finding yourself. It's about allowing God. Allowing God. To create you. This morning, in just the next few seconds, if you're not here and you don't believe in God, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, let me tell you, that, that's the starting line. Week after week, I could have an altar call, come on down to the front, make a commitment to Jesus. But let me tell you, if you're not a Christian, to me, I'm just saying, what are you waiting for? I mean, to me. That's to me. And I can, I can devise up here a way to be creative and, and get you to come on over to the kingdom of God. But let me tell you, at the end of the day, you're going to believe God is who He says He is or you're not. Someone can't talk you into it. I don't care if I hold you over hell. Oh, it's hot. Okay, I'll sign up. I won't live for God, but I'll, I'll sign up for salvation. But let's go on. Let, let's not just swim in the revelation of salvation. That is the most important, but that's the starting line. So many people think of it as a starting and finish line. I crossed over. But when you become, as we talked about, you know, months ago at the first of this year, we gave you a crepe myrtle kind of as a, just as an illustration. Everybody remember? What? I remember. Yeah, that's right. I had a crepe myrtle one time. And we gave it to everybody that was here, every family, and said, it's kind of a sign of your spiritual growth this year. Do you remember that? And I said, take care of it because we're building a building over here and we're going to ask you to bring it back when we're about ready and we're going to plant it in the landscaping plant. And everybody took one. And some people said, I'm not taking one up. But there's some people that took them and they took them home. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to, I'm going to. And, and you saw how hard it was. 
Now, I'm not here criticizing if your crepe myrtle died because I have, I took every one home that, you, that was left over, probably about 10 of them, and I'm down to about four. But I know where I bought them, and I'm going to buy some more. It's hard to take care of that thing and to, to make sure that it stays al- Can I get a witness from somebody else? I feel like I'm the only one up here. But listen, when it comes to our spiritual growth, we put more emphasis on what we're going to eat for lunch sometimes than working out some of this revelation in the process. God, God tells us to do things that are not easy. Walk in love with each other. As soon as you do something I don't like, it's hard to walk in love. As long as you're blessing me and smiling, you guys are great. If you cost me something, oh, that's where it's harder. When you give me something, I'm, oh, it's great to be alive. It's in those times that we work and it's a push. We're going, oh God, i got to work on this. This is one subject. Submitting to our authority is hard work on our part. But it brings us to a whole other level of possible promotion in our life. You know, just today, I, I, I think about a young lady that's in our church that I began saying, man, the Word of God is working. She began to tithe, and it's hard for, boom, 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 success. And, and, and just, it's amazing in a short period of time. Well, we, I know another lady that talked to me today and said, you know, within just about 18 months, God is bringing me to not only being, you know, to a nationally known office. Another young man is, is in the area of a kind of an accounting area and he devised a, a kind of an accounting uh, inventory form and, and he just said, it helps me out. And bada boom, bada boom, and all of a sudden the, the regional director came and said, you created that? We need to compensate you because the whole area is using that. Everybody's up for promotion. Everybody's up for excitement. But it's in the process, process of working out what God's Word says in our life. This morning, let's pray. God, this morning you have given us a word, that, Father, that again, the content that we can process. Father, I thank you for that. Now as I and our wonderful friends leave this place, God, help us to take what we have been taught, what we have been given, the content, the revelation, and God... Help us to process it this week. Every time that we're in a situation that, Father, that it's hard to to submit to our earthly authority that is over us, that you have put over us, help us to look at that person with love that actually you put them there for our good. Father, I know it's hard, and please, please help us, your Holy Spirit inside of us, speaking encouragement that we can do this. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen.